Welcome to part two of our podcast on cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and bitcoins with Chris Becker, our economic strategist from Invesic. Chris, welcome back to the studio. Chris, let's pick up where we left off. In part one, we had a chat about cryptocurrencies as well as the underlying technology behind them, which is this blockchain technology. Today, let's talk about the supply and the demand. There are only 21 million bitcoins. Surely there's a, a limited supply. Yes, there is a limited supply. As things stand, 16, just over 16 and a half million bitcoins that will ever be created has already been created. So 80% of the total supply is already out there. How the supply of Bitcoin works is that computers that verify transactions and keep the network of Bitcoin secure earn Bitcoins, new okay. Bitcoins, every 10 minutes for doing that, for, for fulfilling that role and function. 10, 10 Bitcoins out of the 21 million. Yeah, so, so in fact, how it works is the supply of Bitcoins every four years halves. Okay, so okay. when it started off, about what was twenty it was fifty bitcoins every ten minutes that we're getting issued to miners. Okay, that's halved to twenty five, and currently the network issues around twelve and a half bitcoins every ten minutes to the entire mining uh, infrastructure. Okay. Okay. okay, and in another three or four years' time, the supply is going to halve again. So it keeps halving every four years. So the rate of issuance of bitcoins constantly is slowing down, and mm -hmm. so the the maximum number of bitcoins that will ever be in existence get close to 21 million it'll never actually hit 21 million okay. and the period over which that's going to be happening is between now and roughly 2140 so another 120 years to go and that's wow, how long okay. the supply of of bitcoin is going to take to slow down to come back to nothing okay and then okay. and then what bitcoin miners and computers verifying transactions and processing transactions and keeping the network secure they're just going to earn transaction fees they're okay. not going to get new bitcoins so these mining devices mm. um, are actually quite a good investment, yes, no? Well, um, it depends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in the last eight years, it's been a better investment just to buy the cryptocurrency itself and hold it and not trade the thing okay. than actually setting up mining rigs and mining. But there's a booming industry around this. Yeah, um, I believe so. Graphic, <laughs> graphics cards are selling out at a rapid rate. Mm -hmm. It's not about computing power so much as, as it is is about the speed of processing. Okay. So that's what people are looking for. So that's why they're buying the most powerful graphics cards to process transactions quickly and to solve an algorithm as fast as possible in order to earn those Bitcoins. So yeah, I mean, people have made money. People keep trying to make money. Um, if mining on the Bitcoin network isn't profitable, you can switch to other cryptocurrencies or networks like Ethereum or Litecoin or Monero or Filecoins is a new one. It's a really cool blockchain network. And what that's going to be doing is it's a decentralized cloud storage application. So if you have spare storage on your computer, you can download their software and pledge storage capacity to the network sure. and kind of start taking on Amazon S3, but in a decentralized way. So you can go and upload your files onto that network. In order to upload your files, you, you need to pay in Filecoin. So you've got to buy a Filecoin okay. to pay computers you are pledging storage back to you mm -hmm. so that token is going to be trading on that network so that's another network gives you a sense of i think that maybe perhaps the next phase of demand around mining because that's what those computers do is, is pledge storage capacity you know? okay so these are these are all online networks with their own cryptocurrencies with their own utility tokens and you have to own the token in order to utilize the services or 
um, if you if you're contributing to the network, you're going to earn that token as well. So it, it 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 kind of introduces a whole new concept of money and and borders and you know does a nation state and a government control and issue money, or can they just operate on these overlapping online networks now? You know, mm. computer networks that don't have borders. You know, we don't talk about cross-border emails. And yeah, I think true. the same thing may start to apply with, with cryptocurrencies in these networks. You know, so it's, so it's maybe a whole new paradigm of money and how, how all this stuff works. Well, I think this is a complete paradigm it. shift to the way we've traditionally thought about things, mm. <laughs> let's be honest. What are the, you know, I'm, being fairly new to the game, what, are the, what, what should we be looking out for? Like... Are there scams out there? I mean, it just seems so un- yeah. unregulated, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, it's hard to trust the system that you know, it just seems so intangible. People need to do their homework around the right wallets to download, to mm-hmm. use, how to stay safe, how to keep, you know, it's like, so to transact on any blockchain, whether it's Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum, when you download a wallet, what it gives you is kind of like an email address that can be publicly shared. If you want to okay. receive email, you, you send somebody your email address and they can send an email to it. But you also have a password to log into that email account. Um, and if somebody gets hold of your password, they can send emails from your account. They can go through your records. You also have private keys that are stored in your, your Bitcoin wallet. Okay. And if anybody else gets hold of your private keys, they can transact as if they are you on the network. Okay. And if once the money's sent out of your account, basically, it's gone. once that email's sent, it's gone. You mm. can't reverse it, you know. But so we, people but, need to do their homework around yeah. security and how to stay safe. And because all the infrastructure hasn't really been built out yet to keep people safe. So, so they, yeah, I think it's an important thing to say. Yeah. I just want to go back to, you know, if somebody hacks your accounts, whatever it is, and then sends money to another account, you kind of know where that money's gone. And yeah. but doesn't Bitcoin? You know, it's all individually coded. So you yeah. isn't there a way to track that? Like yeah. So you, so it's you can track it. We can yeah. we can we can see where the money's gone because it's all on this open, transparent public ledger. So yeah. we can go and see that. But for you to go and crack the 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 security uh, and to replicate or forge the digital signature that that other person, that other account holder has is, is virtually impossible. Right. And so no amount of force can crack that code. It's all about mathematics and cryptography. Sure. Okay, so, so that's the other thing. And that's why tech people are, are excited about it because it, it just it can't, it can't be hacked. It's next to impossible to be hacked. And, and it gets quite interesting around when you think about the asymmetry and amount of effort that needs to go into hacking an individual's wallet. I mean, it's huge and it's, it's, nec- it's, it's virtually impossible to do. Whereas when a whole bunch of money sits with a bank or with an exchange, it's like a honeypot. And if you can crack that code and if you can hack into a bank, you kind of clear out the vaults and off you go with other people's money. So this kind of gives power back to individuals in a sense to okay. look after and, and be responsible, to look after their private keys. Um, there are going to be risks that some people get hacked, but it's more going to be around being reckless with your private keys. Okay. You know? That's going to be the issue. So yeah. if, you're, if you write your password down somewhere and you leave it there, if you leave a digital trace in your computer, if you've typed it in and, and someone knows how to go and recover that little file you yeah, know, yeah. somewhere in the computer's memory, then you're going to be exposed and, you, and you're vulnerable and then they can steal your money. But okay. if you keep it extremely secure and only to yourself, there's, there's no, just no way that people okay. can steal your money. So same approach to your banking accounts, I suppose. Yeah. There was something in the news about um, various organizations being held ransom. Um, you know, somebody had hacked into their file systems, or whatever, mm. shut them down or shut them out of the systems mm. and then held them ransom and asking to be paid back in Bitcoin. So I think what I'm hearing from you is that you can't 
because of Bitcoin, you can't actually find the identity of who they're paying to. Okay? So you can be... You can create wallets like you created a Litecoin wallet earlier. Yeah. It's very difficult for anyone looking at the ledger to know that you, Karen, has just gone and created that wallet. Mm. What can be done, though, is IP address logging. Yeah. You start to mesh that information with the new wallet that's been created. And, you know, you can kind of trace who's doing what. But so some hackers who are really smart around hiding IP addresses and geolocation services and who go and create new, a new set of public and private keys to transact on the network, mm. create a new wallet, in other words, mm. they can keep it extremely private. And, and, I, and, and I think this speaks to the security and unhackability of something like Bitcoin, you know, okay. it, because hackers wouldn't be using Bitcoin as a form of payment if they weren't really sure that it was yeah. extremely secure. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. So that's another way to think about this and look at it. You know, so yeah, there are bad elements, mm. as we discussed earlier. Yeah. You know, criminals, hackers, you know, they're doing things like ransomware. So an application will be downloaded on a, com on a business's computer servers and everything gets encrypted and you can only decrypt it if you pay these guys in Bitcoin. And so we're actually seeing a lot of businesses buying up a whole bunch of Bitcoin so. As a hedge yeah. for the price going up over the longer term um, in the event that they have some kind of ransomware attack and okay. they have to pay these guys in, in, in Bitcoin. I think what, what's coming out for, for me with this whole Bitcoin discussion is that, and this goes back to that Silk Road discussion about how Bitcoin, you know, as much as it's, a, a, as you say, quite a secure cryptocurrency that's got no sort of border to it, mm. it doesn't say that um, it's it's... It's just like cash. You know, the end user will do with it what they want, basically. And yeah. that's, that can never be regulated, yeah. no matter what yeah. system you're looking yeah. at. I think another interesting thing that many people don't know about Bitcoin, each Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million units. Okay. So you can actually multiply the supply of Bitcoin, which is 21 million, by 100 million to get a total supply of Bitcoin. Sure. So I think there'll yeah. be enough for everybody to go around. Yeah, yeah. And even when you look at the price of Bitcoin today at $4,000, I think, I think. Yeah. it's crashed in the last few days from $5,000 to about $4,000. The price of a Satoshi, which is the smallest unit of Bitcoin that you can transact in. Mm. The transaction fees that you pay on the Bitcoin network is not for the value of the transfer. So like a Forex transaction in today in, in the banking system, you're going to pay percentage points on the value of the transaction. Okay. Okay. In Bitcoin and in cryptocurrencies, you actually pay for the, for the data packet that's being transmitted over the internet. Okay. So, so you could, you'll pay the same transaction fees for a billion dollar transaction as mm. you would pay for a $10 transaction. Or okay. transaction. Okay. Um, and so Bitcoin's network is designed to transact in the smallest possible denomination. And that's called a Satoshi. It's a okay. hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. And the price of one Satoshi today is point zero 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 four dollars. Okay. And so in other so words, it's affordable. one dollar buys yeah. you about 24,000 Satoshis. Okay. And so that starts to give a bit more perspective around the mm. price and where maybe it can go longer term if there's a whole bunch more adoption. Yeah. You know, if a couple of hundred million people are using this thing and put money into it, that means the market cap of $60 billion could then go up yeah. substantially still from here. Yeah. You know, if it begins to compete with with old school money, you know, yeah, the sure. old digital money that's issued by, by governments. I mean, if you had to make a call on it, where is this going? Um, my, my sense is it's still early days of, of digital money. I think it's the ecosystem is developing in leaps and bounds. I think it's, it's going to 
blow people's minds what comes out of the space in the next few years. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some really cool projects that I'm even aware of that's going to be very, very cool and make it more e easier for people to get into the stuff, mm -hmm. to learn more about it. And I think the more people learn about it, the more they get excited about it, the more people are going to use it. So sure. I still see, I still see this this thing having legs over okay. the next few years. Yeah. Um, the, the, the issues are going to come in around regulations. How do regulators look at this? You know, do they want value to be transferred across borders easily amongst people? Mm -hmm. you know, do they want to stand between all transactions or are they going to allow people to interact freely? You know? yeah, yeah. Um, so or those are some have, of the questions. Do question they have a choice though? How does such a crackdown, if it does happen, how does it occur? Yeah. And so that creates a whole bunch of risks, again, from the price perspective. You okay, know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I feel like that's where we are at the moment because we haven't even kind of scratched the surface around what this technology can all be used for. Uh, but one area where the Ethereum um, smart contracting computing network is coming quite useful is it's it's very easy to create a token that trades on the Ethereum network. So in other words, I can very easily create a Chris token. Okay. You know, and I can try and create some network effects around it and have a community of people, maybe my family using it, you know, whatever. Okay. Um, it's very easy to do. So what that that technology and what those tokens have also been used for. Some startup businesses uh, in the blockchain uh, and tech world have issued their own tokens. Okay. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. And then anyone from anywhere in the world can actually invest in their business. They can send money in cryptocurrency to buy their token. Mm -hmm. And then this business that, that's the kind of startup takes the money and invests in building their business out. So it kind of becomes like an initial public offering on a stock exchange. It's like mm. an equity listing. And so that's called an initial coin offering. It's okay. called an ICO. And so yes. some of these tokens act as securities because you're actually funding and investing in a business, in a startup. And regulators, I think, can quite easily get their heads around that as yeah. being illegal if you look at the existing regulatory framework. And so China, for example, has just come out yesterday or two days ago and banned all ICO activity in all of China. Mm -hmm. The American regulators also looking at this, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, I think they're also going to be coming out with some regulations around this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's an area that's going to see a lot of regulation. And I think we have seen some stuff in the sort of Wild West and in inverted commas in the last few years that have breached rules. And there's yeah. going to be a whole bunch of risks around that. We're not quite sure how the regulators are going to deal with that. And it could take a bit of a bit of um, momentum behind investment and innovation and uh, and the like out of out of out of cryptocurrencies maybe for for a little while. It seems like this is just a trend that's just just about to skyrocket. I mean, you know, that we might get regulations around one particular part of it, but you know, the, the thinking behind this will just mean that there'll be the next step and the next one. And so it's going to be quite an interesting space to to watch. I'm sure anyone mm. in the world, if they understand it, can now go out. Mm. And build stuff that runs on this network. Mm. You know, the innovation that's going to come out of this is going to blow people's minds. What do you, in your opinion, does this do for the distribution of wealth? And, and I know we didn't want to talk about wealth. Because this, to me, sounds like there's an elite group sitting behind the scenes creating like this gamification in this world. Yeah. And, yep. and creating now value out of it mm. and actually like monetary wealth out mm. of it. Mm. And the rest of the people are kind of left behind. Mm. And yet, you could, it's, it's meant to be able to like send money to the furthest corners of the world. Mm. So, like, what does this say? What is the... So, I think the guys who, who designed this technology and who keep working on it, who understand it, 
they own a lot of the stuff themselves. Mm. So they invested in these protocols. So here's another interesting way to think about this is earlier protocols of the internet like TCP IP and FTP and simple mail transfer protocol and all these things, you couldn't actually invest and own the protocol. Okay. okay. But these blockchain networks, you can actually invest and own the tokens that, that trade and make those networks work. Okay. And so the old protocols they referred to as thin protocols, mm -hmm. on top of which you had the big centralized businesses built. Yeah. Apples, Googles, Facebooks, you know, all that stuff ran on the thin protocol. Okay. But it, the blockchain flips that all upside down and they talk about a fat protocol. Okay. The value sits in the protocol, which is Bitcoin and those tokens. And you'll have a lot of smaller decentralized or, or centralized, but smaller businesses being built on this protocol. And so the e early investors and the guys who got it first, who came up with this technology, are massive holders of, of Bitcoin. I think the, okay. the largest, well, the, the, the wallet with the most Bitcoin in the world owns around, 100, I think it's 115,000 Bitcoin. So. Sure. At the exchange rate of a couple of weeks ago, it was like $500 million. So there's a developer mm. out there somewhere who owns a lot of Bitcoin, like mm. $500 million worth, you know. And and I think that's a way that these guys are getting rewarded for firstly coming up with a tech, yeah. understanding it early, innovating and building new applications on top of it, making sure that it actually scales and keeps expanding. Mm -mm. And so that's kind of the way that they're getting rewarded. And they may become the new barons of finance. Mm. You know? They may become the new huge players it's it could be if this thing ends up working being the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the world to people who understood this technology already and that's why a lot of people own this stuff and they're not going to sell it yeah. and in the circles they refer to themselves as hodlers they're just holding hodlers. their position they're not selling okay. they're hodling um but that's the excitement because if this thing works um the market cap could go up okay. many multiples still yeah Simple calculation, mm -hmm. not investment advice, mm -hmm. is if you look at adoption curves of technology in the past, typically very disruptive tech like the internet and mobile phones, and that tends to at least reach 50% penetration of the market in sure. the US. Okay. okay. And this is a global technology. A lot of people around the world have, now have smartphones and access to internet, but not financial services. You saw how e easy it is now to sign up essentially for financial services and yeah. money on your account with the wallet, just yeah. by having a smartphone and an internet connection. So let's say Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies reach 50% worldwide penetration. Mm -hmm. And each of those people put in $500 of, of value into this network. Okay. Okay. Then the market cap and the price per Bitcoin goes very comfortably over $100,000. So that's one way that I would think about trying to value the space is, is what's the market cap going to be? How many people might use it? How much money would they put in? And then from there, you can kind of extrapolate what the per Bitcoin price needs to be. Thanks, Chris. A fascinating discussion on Bitcoins and its security and the future of it. But um, let's leave it there for now. To our audience, please tune in for part three, where we'll be discussing Bitcoin for business. This is a podcast brought to you by Investec.